morning, brothers and sisters. I'm very glad to have the opportunity to uh, come and preach at the English congregation. But at the same time, I'm a little bit nervous this morning uh, because of my poor English. Uh, I was uh, worried and asked Pastor Don that, uh, should I preach in Mandarin and uh, have translation? And the pastor told me that uh, I should preach in English. And this way, uh, brothers and sisters feel that I'm closer. So, this morning I'm uh, preaching in English in obedience to my supervisor. <laughs> and I will ask you uh, to bear with me when sometimes it's hard to uh, understand or sometimes I make grammatical errors. If you see that I start to stumble in English, uh, please pray for me. So today's passage, uh, John 21, we know that this is the last chapter of the Gospel of John. And in the previous two chapters, it is recorded that Jesus was crucified on the cross and he was raised on the third day. Then he appeared to the disciples and gave them the commission. Now, talking about the commission, we know a great commission that's in Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. Jesus said to the disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now, Gospel John also has a great commission. That's in John 20, verse 21. Jesus says, As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. A simplified version of great commission. Now, the great great commission um, commands us to share the Gospels and to make disciples. And I trust a lot of our brothers and sisters have responded to Jesus' great commission. We serve in various ministries in the church. We share gospel and we equip disciples. We can say that for many of us, serving God is part of our life. But now, have you ever Stop and think. Why do I serve in the church? How can my serving be more pleasing to the Lord? How can my ministry be more effective? And today, John 21 is going to teach us several important lessons about our ministry to the Lord. Let us pray. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, You were in the beginning, the Word, and You are God. You, the true light, came to the Word, shining in the darkness, You became flesh and walked on earth to reveal 
the Father to us. You make the lame walk. You make the blind see. And you raise the dead. You are the bread of life. You are the source of the living water. You are the light of the world. You say you are the resurrection and the life. You are the true shepherd, the good shepherd. You are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through you. You are the true vine, the source of our life. And you died on the cross and was raised on the third day so that whoever believes in you shall not perish but has eternal life. Lord, we thank you for your love and grace. Today we come to study your word. May your spirit open our hearts that we come to grasp how great is your love for us. And we may respond in love to love you and to follow you. Lord, I also pray for myself that you may help me to speak clearly and correctly Thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. The message of today's sermon is that we must fix our eyes on Jesus in our ministry. We must fix our eyes on Jesus in our ministry. John 21 will teach us three important aspects of fixing our eyes on Jesus in our ministry. The first aspect is that fixing our eyes on Jesus in our ministry means that we rely on Jesus in our ministry. We rely on Jesus in our ministry. Let's look at the first uh, section of the Bible, uh, verse 1 to 14. It describes Jesus' appearance to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. Now, Sea of Tiberias is also called the Sea of Galilee. There were seven disciples, Simon Peter, uh, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and there are two other disciples, which we do not know their name. And they were together, and Simon Peter said to others, I'm going out to fish. And they said, we will go with you. Now here, some people say it's... Uh, so surprising that the disciples are abandoning the commission by Jesus and they are going back to their old profession. But this may not be true because um, in Matthew 28 verse 10, Jesus told the women, say, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. So disciples may be uh, waiting for Jesus in Galilee as commanded by Jesus. And some people say, while they were waiting, it's better to do something useful than to be idle and waste the time. And some other people also say, 
even though Jesus has been raised from dead, the disciples still need to eat. So they go fishing. Now, furthermore, uh, later we see that when they realize that the person on the shore is Jesus, Peter jumps into the sea and swimming to the shore in a hurry to see Jesus. This does not sound like a person who abandons the commission. Otherwise, he will be afraid to see Jesus. But he was in, in a hurry to see Jesus. So, there's no negative tone in describing that they are going to fish. Now, next, the Bible says that they were fishing the whole night and they did not caught anything. And then there was a man on the shore asking them if they caught anything, and they said, no, uh, we did not get anything. And then that person asked them to pass the net uh, to the right, and then they caught a lot of fish this time, even could not pull it up. We do not know why a group of fishermen will listen to a stranger on the shore and cast the net. Um, maybe they have tried the whole night, they did not get anything, and they think it does not hurt to give it a try. So they gave it a try. And they caught so many fish that they could not hold it in. And then John realized that it is Jesus. And he told Peter. John is quick in perception. And Peter is quick in action. He jumps into water and swimming to the, sh- to the shore to see Jesus. And the rest of the disciples hold the uh, net to the shore. And uh, when they came up, they had breakfast together. Now the Bible also recorded that when they uh, pulled the net to the shore, they counted the fish and they found that 153 large fishes. Why did John record exactly that 153 fishes? In the history, through all the history, there's a lot of guesses about the meaning of 153. But they are all guesses only. We do not know exactly what 153 means. Maybe there's no special meaning at all. It's simply just uh, the disciples were so impressed by the large catch, and they just remembered how many fish they caught. But apart from whether there's a special meaning with 153 or not, this miraculous catch of fish does tell us an important lesson. There is an important uh, symbolic meaning. Just as many um, stories in the Gospel of John have important symbolic meanings, all the miracles in John is called signs. It's a sign pointing to uh, something spiritual. And here, this is also a sign. This miraculous catch of fish is telling us, through this uh, miracle, Jesus tells the disciples, and also tells us that he wants us to be fishes of men. Just as the disciples had a great catch of fish, he tells us that the gospel ministry he gave to us will also have great harvest for sure. And the disciples worked the whole night and did not catch anything. And when Jesus told them to cast the net, 
Then they caught 153 large fish. It shows us that in all ministry, we have to rely on Jesus. We rely on Jesus to do his ministry. We do not rely on ourselves to do our ministry. Now this does not mean that our gifts, our wisdom and experience is not important. In this uh, great catch of the fish, we see that they are all fishermen. They have the basic skills. They know how to row the boat. They know how to cast the net. If it was with I, if I caught so many fish, the boat may have tipped over. So those skills are important. However, we need to remember that the more important thing that is God's sovereignty. God is, God is in control. Our experience, our gift, our wisdom are important. But first of all, we have to remember God's sovereignty. And we have to rely on Him in our ministry. And we also need to pray more. Ask God to guide us and to give us strength to serve Him. So this is the first part of fixing our eyes on Jesus in our ministry. That is, we rely on Jesus in our ministry. Now let's look at the second part. The second part tells us that our love for Jesus is the foundation of our ministry. Let's look at verse 15 to verse 19. Now this is a conversation between Jesus and Peter after the breakfast. First, Jesus asked him, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than this? By asking, by uh, addressing Peter as Simon, son of John, the full name, and uh, with uh, son of John, his father's name, it shows that what Jesus is going to say is a serious matter. And Jesus asked him, do you truly love me more than this? Now, more than this, this may have three possible interpretations. The first is Jesus asked Peter, do you love me more than your boat, your net, and all the fishes you just caught? Peter was a fisherman, and they just caught 153 large fishes, and they were very excited. And this interpretation is possible. Now, the second possible interpretation is this refers to the other disciples that are around. And just ask Peter, do you love me more than you love these disciples? These other disciples. But such comparison is uh, strange uh, to the Gospel of John. It never appears elsewhere. The theme never appears. Jesus sometimes asks us to uh, compare our love for him uh, to our love for our parents and wives and children. But never compare with loving other disciples. So this is not likely. Now the third interpretation is Jesus asking Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? Now this interpretation has a little bit of difficulty because it's unusual for Jesus to ask us to compete with each other, even in loving the Lord. Although it's possible that because Peter has boasted before, um, earlier, on the night that Jesus was, uh, was arrested, 
Pit wants to Jesus, even if all fall away on account of you, I will never, I never will. When Jesus answered, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. So in light of that, maybe Jesus reminds Peter of his boasting earlier and want Peter to see his own weakness that he actually failed. But there's another difficulty. Peter did not, Peter answered affirmatively. He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Peter did not say, Lord, I no longer boast that I love you more than others, but you know I love you. He did not answer like that. He said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. So, most likely, the first interpretation is the correct one. Jesus asked Peter, do you love me more than your boat, your net, and all the fishes? Or in another word, do you love me more than your fishing profession? And may, we may even interpret the fishing uh, spiritually, like, like earlier. Fishing refers to Peter's future ministry in sharing the Gospels. And we, we could think that Jesus is challenging us. Do you love me more than your ministry? Sometimes our ministry becomes the goal of our, uh, our uh, serving. It has become my ministry. I want the success of my ministry. And we forgot that behind the ministry there is Jesus. That is the ultimate goal. And Jesus challenges us. Never forget that we are serving Him and to bring glory to Him. Not just to make our ministry successful. So, here, Peter answered humbly. He said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus said, Feed my lambs. Then again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And like that, it repeats three times. Jesus asked Peter three times, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, some people say there is some subtle difference here. In the, in the Greek, John uses two different words for love. Some people say one word means a higher level of love, a kind of divine love. Another word means a love between friends. It's a natural affection. And as NIV we read earlier, distinguish the two words, one by truly love, and the other just simply love. However, today, majority of scholars consider these two words to be synonyms. In the Gospel of John, John often uses these two words interchangeably in different uh, occasions. And there's no significant difference in terms of meaning of these two words. So essentially, Jesus asked Peter the same, quest, the same question three times. Simon, son of John, do you love me? So why will Jesus ask Peter three times the same question? One possibility is that Peter has denied Jesus for three times. And here, Jesus wants Peter to affirm his love for him three times. That's possible. But there's an, another important lesson. By asking Peter three times, 
Simon, son of John, do you love me? Jesus shows people and also shows us. When he calls someone to serve him, the most important thing is our love for him. When Jesus calls someone to serve him, the most important thing he looks for is our love for him. Some people say Jesus could have asked Peter different questions. He could have asked Peter, Simon, son of John, do we have orthodox faith? And then Peter could have answered, yes, Lord, I'm the first one to declare, you are Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus could have also asked Peter, Simon, son of John, do we have, do we hold an official office at the church? And Peter could have asked, answered, yes, Lord, you call me to be an apostle. And you once said, you are Peter. On this rock, I will build my church. And Jesus could also have asked Peter, Simon, son of John, have you had any supernatural uh, experience? And Peter could have answered, yes, Lord, I once walked on the sea. And I cast out demon, and I healed the sick. But Jesus did not ask, ask Peter this question. Instead, he asked Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he asked for three times. It shows us that when Jesus calls someone to serve him, the most important thing he is looking for is our love for Jesus. Now, what does it mean by loving Jesus to bring glory to God? 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Second, to love Jesus is to keep his command. John 14.15 says, If you love me, keep my command. And in verse 21, Jesus says again, Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Love is not only an, a feeling, an affection. Love is not only an affirmation of a word. Love is to be expressed in action. One of the commands Jesus gave us is to share the gospel and to make disciples. And are we obeying Him? Third, anyone who loves Jesus also loves their brother and sister. In First John, it says, Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And He has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. And in John 13, verse 34 to 35, Jesus said, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So to love Jesus, at least includes that we put Jesus as the first priority of our life. Put him at the center of our life. To love Jesus also means to keep his command. 
And to love Jesus means we also love our brother and sister. Jesus commands us to love him more than everything else, more than our father, mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, even our own life. So let us, each one, ask ourselves, do I love Lord Jesus? Do I love Jesus? Now we have talked a lot about the importance of our love for Jesus. So how can we love Jesus more? Naturally, we are selfish person. We are self-centered. Naturally, we love ourselves instead of loving the Lord. So how can we love the Lord more? Someone once told a story. It occurred a long time ago, probably a hundred years ago. There was a, a very few cars. In one morning, that uh, old man was walking to a work. And the question that Jesus asked Peter came to his mind. Simon, son of John, do you love me? And uh, he wished with all his heart that he could answer like Peter did. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. But he couldn't. And he was very sad because he couldn't answer that. And uh, a little bit later, he said, if I cannot answer Jesus like Peter did, at least I can, I can say like this. Jesus, you know that I do not love you. And he found some comfort in his honest confession. Then as he walks on, he tells Jesus, Lord, you know that I want to love you. And he begins to think of Jesus' love for him. How he died on the cross for him. And suddenly, he wants to burst out his affirmation. Lord, you know that I do love you. And he asked Jesus to come into his heart and make him a child of God. He was rejoicing the rest of the way. That morning, he became a new creature in Christ. Now this man's experience may be a little bit special. Not everyone can make such big change in such a short time. But his story does teach us a lesson. That only when we grasp how much God loves us, then we can respond better to love, the, love God, to love Jesus. May God help us to grasp how much He loves us. That He died on the cross for us to forgive our sins and to give us the eternal life. Jesus asked Peter three times, Do you love me? And Peter affirmed with his answer, Yes, Lord, you know I love, I love you. And then Jesus commissioned Peter to shepherd his sheep. After that, Jesus said, I'll tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you want, wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to uh, where you do not want to go. And John tells us that Jesus said this to indicate what kind of death by which Peter will glorify God. 
just tells uh, tells Peter that in the end he will also die on the cross, glorifying the God. And Peter did follow Jesus all the way to the end, faithfully serving Jesus, following him. So this is our second part, that our love for Jesus is our foundation for our ministry. Now let's look at the third point. Fixing our eyes on Jesus in our ministry also means that we do not compete or compare with each other in our ministry. After the previous conversation, Jesus said to Peter, follow me, and then they uh, have a walk. So Peter followed Jesus, and when he turned and saw that John was also following, he asked Jesus, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? And uh, John tells us that <coughs> Jesus did not mean that John will live forever. He only means that if Jesus wants him to live until he returns, it, does, it has nothing to do with Peter. It's not Peter's business. Now, comparing with each other is probably not Peter's problem alone. We also often compare with each other. Sometimes we compare what kind of result uh, result that God has prepared for us. But most of the time, we compare with each other about our achievement, about our capability. When we were back in school, we, we, we compete who is the number one in the class. When we graduate, go to work, we compare whose job is better, whose salary is higher. We compare who has a big house, who has the best car, and who gets more promotion. When we have children, we compare whose child is smarter, who educates their children better, and whose children go to the best universities. And even in our ministry, we compare whose ministry is more effective and who has more love for people. And we even compare who is more humble. Now personally, I have experienced many of them, actually most of them, except that uh, my daughter has not uh, been to uh, university yet, not ready yet, so I'm not competing about that. And I think uh, more or less, you have probably experienced some uh, comparison as well. It's natural for us to compare with each other. There was a story about a young, bright uh, student of Stanford. One summer, his parents uh, gave him a trip to Japan to learn more about Oriental culture. And there, he got acquainted with a group of uh, monks and those monks uh, challenged his a- uh, ambition. They told him that he studied hard, not in order to learn true knowledge, but to have better grades than his friends. He buy important, uh, expensive, he buy expensive things, not because he really needed them, 
But because I want to show that he's able to afford more expenses, more expensive things than his friends. He faced beautiful goals, not to find true love, but just to be seen with the most admired women. And that young man admitted that all those are true. And he called from Tokyo to his parents, say, he's dropping out from the school and going into the monastery with those monks. Now, half a year later, his parents received a letter said, Dear Dad and Mom, I know you were not happy when I decided to stay in Japan to go to monastery. But do you know that uh, I'm so happy now? I'm in true peace of my life. I've never experienced such peace in my life. Here we have no competition. There's no envy. Everyone shares everything and we are equal. You know that this kind of life uh, environment is so suitable to me that now I have become the number two disciple in the monastery. <laughs> and I think soon I will become the number one. So it's truly very difficult for us to avoid competing, comparing with each other. So what can we do? How can we be delivered from competition and comparison with each other? The answer Jesus gave to Peter was, follow me. Jesus told Peter, you don't worry about how other people, the result. You do not compare with other people. You follow me and fix your eyes on me. And that's Jesus' answer. We fix our eyes on Jesus and follow him. Whatever ministry our Lord gives to us, we serve him faithfully. Whatever gifts Jesus gives to us, we use that gift faithfully to serve him. So John 21 tells us that in our ministry, we must fix our eyes on Jesus. First, we have to rely on Jesus in our ministry. Second, our love for Jesus is our, the foundation of our ministry. Third, we do not compete and compare with each other in our ministry. We fix our eyes on Jesus instead. Brothers and sisters, I want to challenge you again to let the question Jesus asked Peter to ask us frequently. Let, let us ask ourselves often, do I love Jesus? Is there anything in my life that I love more than I love Jesus? Is there anything that can come in the way for my love to Jesus? Jesus asked us, each one of us today, do you love me? And how can we answer him? Our Lord, he died on the cross for us to give us new life. Now, D.L. Moody was a famous evangelist. He was used by God mightily. Someone said, because of Moody, the population in the hell was reduced by one million. 
Moody's ministry was very powerful. What's the secret? A person whose name was Reynolds once told such a story. That was at the early days of Moody's ministry. Now, Moody was raised up in a farm. And as he was a little bit older, he went into business of selling shoes. He did not get a good education. And Reynolds told that on that night, when he went to see Moody, he was a little bit late. When he uh, went into the uh, uh, simple room, he saw a man standing there, one hand holding a black boy, and the other hand holding a Bible. He was trying to read to him the story of the prodigal son. But there are so many words he couldn't make out, and he had to skip them. And Reynolds was sitting down there and thinking, if the Lord can use such an instrument for his glory and honor, it will astonish me. And that person was Moody. And after the meeting, Moody talked to Reynolds and told him, Reynolds, I have only one talent. I have no education, but I love Lord Jesus Christ. I want to do something for him. Pray for me. And God used that instrument. Used that instrument mightily. Moody's ministry was powerful because he fervently loved the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, brothers and sisters, do you want to be someone who is used by God for his kingdom? Do you want to be a blessing to other people? In the time of difficulty, when nobody understands you, or when other people criticize you, will you be able to continue to serve faithfully without losing heart? VCBC was established here 45 years ago and was used by God greatly. Can VCBC continue to be used by God here to share the gospel and to make disciples? In order to answer this question, first we need to answer the question Jesus gave to Peter. Do you love me? If we can say like Moody said, I love Lord Jesus Christ. I want to do something for Him. Let's pray together. I trust God will use every one of us who love Him mightily. And God will use VCBC mightily. Now, before we pray, I want to challenge again to think about the question Jesus asked Peter. Do you love me? Right now, Jesus asked you, ask me, ask every one of us, do you love me? What is your answer? If your answer is, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Or if your answer is, Lord, I did not love you much in the past. But today, I want to love you. Please help me. If one of this is your answer, or something like that, I invite you to stand up and let us pray together. You say that I want to love my Lord, who died on the cross for me. 
I invite you to stand up and let us pray together. Now, among us, there may be also some sick friends who have not accepted Jesus as your Savior. And if, at this moment, if we want to say to Jesus, Jesus, I did not know you before, but today, I'm touched by your love. I want to learn to know you more and to love you. I invite you to also stand up. Now, during our prayer, if all God touched your heart, you can stand up at any time. Let us pray. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you. We thank you for the amazing love that you died died for us on the cross. Lord, help us to grasp your love and help us to respond in love, to love you, to serve you, and to follow you. Just as the song we sang earlier, when you call, I won't refuse. Each new day again, I will choose. There is no one else for me, none but Jesus, crucified to set me free. Now I live to bring him, to bring him praise. Lord, help us to live for you and to glorify your name. We pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.